Thank you, Ben. I'm so glad that you're here on this first Sunday of December. Yeah, we're starting today a, a four-week sermon series, and I hope you'll be here for each segment of it. The text passage is Luke chapter 1, and I'll ask you to go ahead and turn over there. Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles today. The title of our series is He Shall Be Great. Yeah, we have notes provided in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. We'll read verses 26 through 38 here this morning. Luke chapter 1. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled, it is saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's take the first phrase from verse 32 there. And we want to expand that over the next four weeks. He shall be great. This morning we're going to see his pedigree, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is not just a baby born in a manger, but who is the Savior of the world. And I pray that uh, our hearts would uniquely be in touch with this passage of Scripture over the next month, and that you would allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our lives today in a special way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please listen to this song? And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. All is well, all is well. Angels and men rejoice for to know. 
darkness fell into the dawn of love's light. Sing ole, sing alleluia. All is well, is well. Let there be peace on earth. Christ is come, go and tell that he is in the Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that this morning. Beautiful song. I'm assuming that we are all familiar with the Christmas story of Jesus' birth here today. I don't think that's a too far out assumption. I think most people know about that. Uh, e- even though we're coming from this passage of Scripture as a foundation for the series, we really want to go much deeper into the deity of Christ. And I guess you could call this a doctrinal message. Supposedly, uh, I've always heard this anyway, that doctrinal messages are boring. Uh, But here's what I find. If you don't have your doctrine right, you can't have your life right. Uh, Because you always live out what you truly believe. You don't live out what you say you believe. You live out what you really believe. How many of you have ever had somebody who told you they believed something and then they acted totally the opposite? 
right? Uh, so, so their doctrine was not what they said they believed. Their doctrine was what they actually did. And that's where we want to get to this morning and in this series. And so I hope that you'll pay close attention. And we are going to go into some deeper issues in, from the Word of God and from Christianity. But I hope you'll stick right with us and live out what you believe. So let's get into the passage here this morning. We're going to look at two other important passages as well. Uh, one back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and one in the book of Hebrews toward the end of the Bible. Uh, here in this passage, we find that when the angel Gabriel descended to the tiny city of, of Nazareth of Galilee upon a young virgin named Mary, that he did it with some magnificent news. And, of course, she was very afraid when she saw him and troubled and said, I wonder what kind of salutation this is going to be. Um, but Gabriel gave her this news. And as I said, I think we all understand that his news was that she would bring forth a son named Jesus who would save his people and the world from their sins. But, but more than that, Gabriel announced conditions of Messiah's greatness. Look again at verse number 32. He shall be great. Now look at what the conditions were going to be. Son of the highest. And uh, the throne of his father David is another condition. To reign over the house of Jacob forever, in verse 33. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. For the next four weeks, Lord willing, each week, we'll take one of these conditions and study it in the scriptures and I believe there will also be some huge practical applications for us because the Word of God is alive. The Word of God is powerful. It's working in our lives today. And so let's start back in Genesis chapter 14 where we find the root title for this name, Son of the Highest. So Genesis chapter 14, and I hope you can find it and we'll look there. Genesis 14 details the event of a battle that took place during the life of Abraham, or Abram, his name was still at this point. Abram had a nephew uh, named Lot, and you might remember Lot, he lived in Sodom, and, and later on Sodom is destroyed, and there's a complete passage of that here in Genesis. But Lot had been taken captive with some others from Sodom by a group of heathen kings. And if you like to read Bible names, you can read them for yourself there at the beginning of chapter 14. We won't do that here this morning. But Abram, uh, he caught up his 318 trained servants and took off after them. The Bible, it just blows me away how much of a history book it is. Right? Here we have an event that took place way before the birth of Christ, 1,900 years before the birth of Christ. And we find out how many servants Abram took to the battle. 318 servants, so very detailed. But he ended up catching up with, with these armies and getting his nephew back along with all of the stuff and all of the people. And the part of the passage I want to get to starts in verse 17 here in Genesis 14. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. 
And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most, the most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Now, Abram had a, a life-changing meeting here with Melchizedek. And if you do a Bible study on Melchizedek, it's just this huge topic. And we don't have time to cover it all here this morning. But Melchizedek... Uh, this passage says, means king of righteousness. Melchizedek was a Gentile king of Salem, which means peace. And so he was also the priest of the Most High God. Uh, Here's a question for you. Why would Abram have such respect and worship for a Gentile priest? I'll tell you why. This priest was Jesus Christ. This priest, Melchizedek, in this passage, was Jesus Christ. I'm going to prove that to you in Hebrews 7. But he was the very same God who will later be born to Mary in the manger of Bethlehem. And uh, so you can uh, either take my word for it, uh, because I've studied it out, or you could study it out on your own. And I believe, by God's grace, you're going to reach the conclusion that Melchizedek was a, this is a big doctrinal word, he was a theophany. All right? How many of you have ever heard that word before? Okay, good. We've got seven people who know what that is. Um, a theophany is an earthly appearance of Jesus Christ before his birth in Bethlehem. And uh, so Melchizedek was a theophany. And I'll show you this in Hebrews chapter 7. So go back to the, toward the back of your Bible, and uh, you'll get to Hebrews. It's right before James Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to find out some things about this Melchizedek that Abram had met. And Melchizedek's mentioned in Psalm 110. Uh, His name goes throughout the scriptures, and it's talking about Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews 7, verse number 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, there's that name again, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now look at verse 3. Without father, that means he had never been born. He'd always existed. Without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. And in this man who showed up to meet with Abraham, the Most High God, we have the root name for what we're going to talk about here today, the pedigree of Jesus Christ, Son of the Highest. And that name is seen throughout the Scriptures, but let's lay out some of it here this morning in your notes, and we start by talking about uh, the fact that he was called. He was called back in Luke chapter 1. He was called what he already was. Luke chapter 1. And let's look at it again. 
Make sure everybody gets there. Verse number 32. Look at it again. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. So this is what he already was. Back in Luke 1, Gabriel says, he'll be called the Son of the Highest. And I want you to know that he would not now begin to be the Son of God. He already was the Son of God from eternity past. In a minute, we're going to look at the great foundational truth of John 1. But some of you probably heard it before. It starts like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ was always God. But in the days of Mary, He was manifested in the flesh. He was born in a manger so that He alone could become the redemption for our sins. 1 Timothy 3.16 describes this. And if you have a Bible, you really need to see this one. It's a wow verse in 1 Timothy 3. And we're keeping you awake here this morning by turning all over the place in your Bible. 1 Timothy 3. Yeah, this is a, this is a foundational verse. By the way, there's a, there's a root word in this verse uh, in the Greek called theos which means God. And it is clearly in the text for the New Testament. And it says this, 1 Timothy 3, 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now look at the very next phrase or word here. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, there are some modern texts that have taken the word theos, and instead of putting the word God in this verse, they have put the word he. Okay? Now, what that does, that changes the part of deity that's included in this verse. It doesn't say Jesus was manifest in the flesh. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And so this verse, 1 Timothy 3.16, is a great verse with the deity to understand that it was God himself who was manifest in the flesh, theos. Uh, Paul tells the Romans in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And the Bible is a beautiful love story between God and the human race. God made Adam and Eve in perfection. He walked with them and he interacted with them in the garden. And after Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship was broken. God began to show incredible long-suffering in seeking to find fellowship with man. And here's what's interesting. God could have made robots that were forced to worship him, right? He could have made us programmed to worship him. But that wouldn't have been reality when the word worship is involved. So what pleased him most and what still does please him most is people who willingly worship him as most high God. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story of the Old Testament today, but the summary is this. God did miracles. God gave deliverance. God offered structure and law 
And he sent prophets and teachers, but none of it was getting through. And, and so the creator of the earth became a part of his creation. The most high God, son of the highest, became, and we see this next, creator. Creator, not, sorry, hit the thing. See if I can do it again. See, you can hit this thing, ten, oop. just trying to keep you awake. It has think four times it'll happen again. Um, God in Jesus Christ was not a created being. A minute ago I quoted from John 1. Look over there with me if you will. John chapter 1. And this is a great passage for you to be familiar with, to mark in your Bible, to understand better, to do Bible studies on. John chapter 1. Let's do verse 1 again, now that you're there and you see it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, verse, look at verse number 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was not designed to be a child of God as an angel or a man. He was not adopted to be a child of God like saints are. He was not elected to the office of Most High. He was the eternal God. Life and light. That's what it says next here. Verse number four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Look at verse 5. This, this verse always blows me away. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, how many of you, when you were a kid, how many of you ever had an ant farm? Anybody ever have an ant farm? All right. Anybody still have an ant farm? Kind of fun, right? Now, be honest, be honest. How many of you have ever tortured an ant? Yes. Yep. You wicked people. I won't ask the other animals that you've tortured. Um, but I think everybody has kind of messed with an ant, right? Take it out of its habitat and go down 20 feet, which is like a different universe for it. And see what it does? It's going all over the place. Um, yeah, you devious, horrible people. I can tell who you are. Um, but if you've ever had an ant farm, I want you to think about if you decided, you know what, I want to talk to my aunts. Not my, like, mother's sisters or my aunts, like A-N-T-S. I want to talk to my aunts. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to start sending them signals. All right? So I'm going to send them signals, my aunts. And we're just going to, it's not going to work out. Um, and, and you take your ant farm, and you could turn on Bing Crosby, White Christmas, and sing to them. And you could go and caress the ant, and you could do all kinds of things to begin to try to interact with your ant farm. And here's this massive ant farm filled with millions of little ants. The truth is, you are so big, you're so huge compared to an ant, that they can't even comprehend how big you are. When the little ant sees you, all they can see is the Florsheim label on the bottom of your shoe. All right? They can't even fathom the whole you. 
That would be like the apocalypse to them. And so, so say you, this big, huge creature that you are, wants to get a message to the ant world. And you try method after method. You got your light shining, and you give them a healthy habitat, and you purposely spill sugary drinks near them. Um, you, you give them a book written in ant language. You send ant after ant to tell them about you. But every time you come near with your light, they have no comprehension. None. They're either too dumb or too overwhelmed to figure it out. Either too dumb or too overwhelmed to figure it out. And so finally, finally, you know that there's only one way for you really to connect your message with the ant world. You have to become an ant. It's the only way you can talk to them. You have to become an ant. And so you stand in front of Dr. Zelensky's machine and you shrink down to be an ant only to find out that they still reject you and your message. Now, that's all a fictional tale, but it gives you just a small glimpse of what God did. What Jesus Christ did. Look at John 1 again. Verse number 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So here's God showing who he is directly to us. The creator of the earth. Not a created being, the creator began to show us exactly who he is. The third part I want to see is his character. His character. Equal with God. Equal with God. Messiah was not just another representative of God like the prophets had been. He was not one sent from God like John the Baptist had been. Look, look at John 1 verse Number six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Okay, so can you imagine? Still up there with your light, got the ant farm, and you send somebody John, here's John right here. You send John into the ant world. And he's an ant. And you say, okay, I want you to go explain to all the ants what the light is. And so he shows up. And the Bible says he shows up eating locusts and wild honey. I don't know what ants eat, but that sounds pretty good. That could work in ant world. And he starts telling all the ants, hey, see the light? Here's what it means. He wants to love you. He wants to give you life. They don't understand. So here, God sent John. God sent the prophets. And his character was not one who was sent like John. He was God completely in the flesh. He was fully God in nature. There is no attribute of God that is not seen in Jesus Christ. In fact, the extent of his godliness 
is all-sufficient. His authority is God's authority. Psalm 33 said, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9 says, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Jesus is equal with God in sovereignty. He is equal with God in wisdom. He's equal with God in worth. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Very next chapter, Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever. Jesus is not only equal with God, he is God. And, and so Jesus showed up on planet earth. And look, look what happens in John 1, verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. So here's the God of creation, who has the character of God, who is God, and he wants to interact with us. But we couldn't figure out what was going on. And the people who didn't know what was going on, the Jews, said, oh, you're not really him. Nobody would believe who he really was. So we see, last of all this morning, his claim. His claim, possessor of heaven and earth. In the scriptures, Melchizedek, who we saw earlier, at his priesthood, lay the foundation for our knowledge of the Most High God. See, the Most High God is not only named the authority of the universe, He is also the authentic authority of it. And what that means quite simply is this. Jesus is God, whether or not you acknowledge Him. Jesus is God, whether or not you obey Him. Jesus is God, whether or not you receive Him. His claim to be the possessor of heaven and earth arrived on the scene long, long before you did. And his claim to be the possessor of heaven and earth will survive your time here. It is a fact that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's God. Now, I don't completely understand uh, the monarchy, the constitutional monarchy in England. But from what I can tell, um, there's a queen... Right? And she's pretty old now, um, maybe late 80s. And she makes absolutely no decisions about government. Right? She's in charge, but she doesn't decide anything. Except what time to have tea. Right? Or what gown she's going to wear or what castle she's going to live at. Or which one of her kids or grandkids are going to be in the tabloids for that week. That's all that she gets to decide. The prime minister actually runs the government. And so she's what you might call a figurehead. Can I tell you this about Jesus Christ? He is not a figurehead. 
He is the very God of the universe. And when Melchizedek said, hey, I'm the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that's really who he is. And make no mistake in your mind about who Jesus is. I know that there might be some of you out there, and I understand because I, I might be lost myself today in what's being said. You, know, you might think, look, I'm not really connecting with this doctrinal message today. I don't get the whole ant farm thing. Not really sure who this Melchizedek guy is. I do. I've heard of Mary before I got that part. Um, but you lost me after that. What's the message from me? And the message for all of us is this. Jesus is, and we aren't. That's the message, really. Jesus is, and we aren't. He is the possessor of heaven and earth, and I'm not. He is the only Savior of the world, and I'm not. He is the Most High God, and I am not. Hey, as, as fleshly creatures, we fall into the trap almost daily of thinking the world revolves around us. And you almost have to laugh when you hear the stories of how important people think they are. I mean, it's unbelievable. Do you know why we have Facebook and Twitter and all the different things? Because we as human beings think we're important. Right? We think that there are actually people who should be interested in what we're doing. Isn't that amazing? Right? Twitter. I walked outside and got my car. Okay. Right? I'm standing in line at Target. Okay. That's great. Terrific. Why do we need to know this? Because we have a completely narcissistic society that says... Think about me. I'm important. It all revolves around me, and especially at this time of year. It gets insane. This culturally hectic time of year, life is supposed to slow down and be easy and be a celebration of the Savior, and people go crazy, like scary crazy. There are quite a few occupations I would never like to have. Um, daycare teacher is one of them, cow manure specialist, crab fisherman, oh, and the guy at the returns counter of any store on December 26th. Because every person who comes to the counter says, I'm important, you need to solve my problem, life's about me. Can you imagine being any type of a customer service representative anywhere and talking to people like you who think that life is all about you? Well, you don't know what happened to my phone. You don't know what happened to my car. And life becomes about me, me, my, my, me. And then we send Christmas letters out about ourselves. Right? Because every person that we know needs to know how important we think we were for the last year. But then the last sentence we say, Jesus is the light. Right? Now, I'm not mocking you for sending out a Christmas letter. I do laugh when I get them, but uh, I'm just teasing. We, 
We are the most narcissistic society in the history of the earth. And we think there's something important about us. And we take care of our bodies, some people, hours a day. It's still not working. (laughs) And we buy the greatest brand names to wear on our top and our hat and our feet and our socks. And life becomes this massive, it's about me thing. And so while it's easy for me as a fleshly creature to think of myself as the focal point of this life, it is also absurd for me to do it. It's absurd. There are plenty of things bigger than any of us. There are plenty of problems larger than ours. There are plenty of hurts that make ours look foolish. But there is only one who is the possessor of heaven and earth. The psalmist said of him, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, the very skies, show his handiwork. In another place, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Just that phrase blows me away. Above the heavens, where's that at? I mean, you look out and you can't see the end of it. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would the almighty God Melchizedek, possessor of heaven and earth, even think about me. Why would he even know my name? And yet the Bible says he knoweth the number of hairs on my head. He knoweth the thoughts and intents of my heart. He knows everything about me. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. And here we live on this planet, which would fit into our own sun 960,000 times. How many of you guys have seen um, Louis Giglio's How Great Is Our God video? Uh, we probably need to show it again sometime. It's a great thing. Louis uses a golf ball. And uh, I like his deal. I've got a jar of golf balls in my office. I'm a horrible golfer. But it's a, it's a narcissistic put-on that says, hey, I play golf. Right? It's not about me, though. Um, it's about my niece, because when she comes in my office, she says, ball, ball. And then she goes and grabs one. So it's all about her, not about me. Um, but I grabbed a golf ball out of that jar today. Louie uses a golf ball, and it's so neat how he does it, because he's got interaction and on big screens and shows it. But he says this, if the earth were a golf ball, the sun is so big that it would be 15 feet in diameter compared to this. So it'd be like putting this golf ball up on the wall up here in this front section. That's how big the earth is compared to the sun. In fact, it's so big that if the earth were a golf ball, The earth-sized golf balls needed to fill up the sun would be the size of a school bus. That's how big it would be. The sun is massive, 93 million miles away. 
But the star Betelgeuse, that's 427 light years away, is twice the size, not of the sun, but of the Earth's orbit around the sun. And in Giglio's word picture, he says, um, if the Earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of six Empire State Buildings stacked on top of each other. And you go down at the sidewalk and you look at the golf ball compared to six Empire State Buildings, and that's the Earth compared to one tiny star in God's handiwork. Just one. 427 light years away. That means that if light travels at the speed of 186,282 miles per second, that in 427 years, light would reach us from that star. Or light from here would reach that star. And from that star, you can't even see the earth. It's so small. And that's one of the smaller stars. Lucifi, which is 3,000 light years away, is so big that once again, if the earth were a golf ball, it would be the size of two Golden Gate bridges tied end to end. Musifi is so big that you could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside of it. That's a big number. I think it might even be bigger than our national debt. I haven't checked. It's huge. Musifi is this massive, massive star, and yet it's just a little thing in God's creation. We are like the ants, barely able to distinguish the Florsheim emblem on one of these stars. But that's not even the biggest star. Canis Majoris is so big that if the earth were a golf ball, it would be the height of Mount Everest, almost six miles above sea level, 28,029 feet up in the air. Put the golf ball down, compare it to Mount Everest. That's how massive it would be. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths in Canis Majoris. Now, if you the Earth were a golf ball, that's enough golf balls to cover the entire state of Texas 22 inches deep with golf balls. Which one are you on? Right? Go to that 22-inch deep entire state of Texas and figure out which planet you're on. And then go tell God how big you are and why God should read your Facebook page and follow you on Twitter. And then go back to God and demand something in prayer. And you go back and tell God what he needs to do for you. You know what we ought to do in prayer every day? We should Thank God that he has not destroyed us. He is awesome. He is massive. Canis Majoris is so big. I've looked at this. This is unbelievable. It's so big that if this entire wall right up here were the Canis Majoris star, you could not take a straight pen and poke it in the wall anywhere up here and even approximate the size of the earth. The earth is smaller than a pinprick on that wall compared to Canis Majoris. It's massive. 
And that's just one star. In one out of hundreds of billions of galaxies that each have hundreds of billions of stars. And we think we're pretty high up there. There is a reason why the angel Gabriel said, he shall be great. Why? Because he is the son of the Most High. He is the creator. He is the very God of the universe. And maybe it's time to step back for a minute this morning and realize some things about the Most High God. Realize why he is so great and how he is so great. And I don't know about you, but I'm overwhelmed by how great God is and how small I am. But you know, the sin of pride shrinks God in our minds and it inflates us. And we begin to think that we are something that we're worth living for and paying attention to. And even our Christianity becomes about us. Our prayers become about us. We have Christian bookstores that are designed to cater to people who are already saved. People who already know God to help us with things in our lives. That's not all bad, but the truth is, and it doesn't change, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. It's not just a claim. It is reality. And I hope that this season, that one of the first things that attaches to your heart is how great our God is. How wonderful and massive He is. And today, it may not be a day where you need to come to the altar and pray for a sin in your life. Well, maybe it is. It may not be a day where you need to kneel at your seat and pray for your daughter or your son or somebody who's far from God. Maybe that's, it's the day for that too. But you know, for me, what the day is, it's the day to bow before God and worship and say, God, you are great. You are the highest. You're the most high. And am I making you who you should be in my life? Or have I inflated myself to be greater than you? How could it be possible that we're greater than him? If there's a star so big that a pinprick on that wall doesn't even show the earth, how in the world are you bigger than God? That's the question for today. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow, I want to encourage you and let you know that we're going to have in just a moment a, a worship service where we worship before God. The Bible worship means to bow before God. And if you physically can't do that, I understand, but to bow your heart before God. And if you'd like to come to the altar to bow and just to worship God and to just thank Him and praise Him for who He is, we're going to invite you to do that. If you'd like to do it at your seat, whatever it is God lays on your heart, we're going to have a time of worship with some music along with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, you're so great that we cannot even begin to comprehend it. And yet you came unto your own. And you said to us in that very next verse in John 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, 
even them that believe on his name. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never received you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray that you would encourage each of us, no matter who we are in this room today, to exalt you as the very God of our lives, as the possessor of heaven and earth. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you